let's take a second and talk about kingdoms. What makes something a kingdom? Maybe a palace? Definitely a king with a royal family. Probably an unruly uncle or something. Maybe some servants, a cheesemaker, some people who need ruling, and of course, a blacksmith. But that's not the kind of kingdom we are talking about. Much of Jesus' teaching was telling us about his kingdom, well, his father's kingdom. It was about how to experience God's rule while we are here on earth. People had a hard time understanding what this would look like, so Jesus opted to use stories or parables. He told stories about seeds, stories about weeds, grapes, and pirate treasure? <laughs> well, some kind of treasure. Some people got it, some people didn't, but it wasn't supposed to be easy to understand. Jesus said it was actually kind of a secret that you needed to get your heart around before you could really understand it. And telling those secrets is what Jesus was all about. Good morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 1030 service. Those of you online as well on this beautiful November morning. We are in a series. It's our fifth week in the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can open up and we'll get to it in just a minute. Matthew chapter 20. And a parable called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Parables of the workers in the vineyard. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. But I want to begin by way of introduction of this message um, with a contrast. And I want you to think about it. And maybe it'll be helpful as we get through this message this morning. And the contrast is kind of a stark contrast between two biblical characters that most of us, I think, would um, be familiar with. The first one is Judas Iscariot. Now, even if you're not a church-going uh, guy or, or lady, you probably know the name Judas. If I, if I tested you and said, let's go down the 12 apostles, maybe some of us would get three or four and they'd be dead, you know? But most of us would put Judas in there because Judas is, you know, larger than life. And, uh, but I would say to you that Judas suffers from the, the um, you know, the, the uh, history, uh, you know, the, the, the years of history the way a lot of people do. In other words, their story becomes um, accentuated in ways that are not necessarily reflective of their, um, the great realities, right? It doesn't tell the whole story of their life. You know, if I talk to you about, you know, uh, Benedict Arnold, you know, I mean, immediately we would say, well, Benedict Arnold's a traitor, Bingo, you know, end of, but really there's a lot more to the story of Benedict Arnold, but over the course of a couple hundred years, that's what we know him as. And Judas, we often know Judas as, you know, a, a traitor as well, or someone who betrayed Jesus. But I would suggest to you, for this simple illustration, that, that Judas is more of a tragic character, you know, uh, than an evil character, right? We think of him as evil. But I would say he's more tragic, you know. I mean, Judas did not, you know, was not born and raised by Satan and his, and his crew, you know. I mean, Judas, it said Satan entered Judas at the Last Supper, and then things went bad, and then he went and hung himself, and it was a bad end of his story. But most of his story uh, prior to that time, if we were writing the biography of Judas prior to the Last Supper, we wouldn't be telling that story. 
Judas was a man who grew up, as far as we know, we, we would take it from the other 11 apostles that was, a, was an observant Jew and grew up in Galilee and, and was a follower of Jesus Christ, was picked as one of the 12 apostles. When Judas was um, chosen to be the treasurer, some of you know that, there was no uh, you know, revolt. No one said, this guy's got bad character. No one raised an issue. Maybe he was chosen because of his character, as far as we know, okay? Judas was a guy, for all intents and purposes, that you would have said lived a good life uh, up until this very um, unfortunate turn of events. And why did Judas take this turn of events? We don't know, but if you piece together some of the story, Judas was, you know, like uh, others, was, was interested in a different kind of Jesus. He was interested in someone who was going to bring about regime change, right? Not just hearts and minds, but taxes and, and you know, uh, political power. And there were people that rejected Jesus because he wasn't the kind of Messiah that many people were looking for. And that Judas Judas wasn't alone in that. There was a lot of people like that, Jewish uh, people in his day. But Judas got bitter. Jesus decided that Jesus was not who he thought he was, and he opened himself up to something, and it went very bad. In fact, Jesus even said of Judas, okay, uh, in Mark's gospel, that it was better if he had never been born. Okay, now, wow, that's an extreme statement. You know, from disciple of Jesus, good guy, to son of perdition, where the son of God says it would be better he's never been born. Now let's contrast him with um, the thief on the cross. There are two of them. But again, we don't have a lot of information, but we can, we can extrapolate. The thief on the cross um, was, a, was probably a hardened criminal. People did not get crucified in the first century for petty theft. The only reason you were crucified, with Jesus being the one exception, although he had false charges, was if you were a capital criminal. He said twice or three times in the New Testament he was a rebel. He was someone like Barabbas who probably was an, committed insurrection and murder. I would imagine he, was a, he murdered somebody or somebodies, and that's why he was um, being uh, crucified right? His crucifixion was already scheduled before Jesus's was, and uh, that's why he was up there on a cross. And this hardened criminal, not only was he a hardened criminal, maybe his whole life, the opposite of Judas, was this sort of, you know, one crime after another. While he was hanging on the cross, if you believe what the Bible says, okay, he had enough wherewithal. You think by then I'd be done, right? I'm just holding on for dear life like Jesus, you know, and he's, he's trying to hold enough air in his lungs to be able to survive. He is actually dying a horrible death, but he's got enough energy to um, throw insults against the Son of God. Both Matthew and Mark's gospel say that both of these rebels or these criminals threw out insults at Jesus while they were high, dying on a cross. Wow. But this guy, some uh, apparently, the last few minutes of his life had a change of heart. And he said, hey, Jesus, uh, don't forget about me. And if, again, if we take the Bible at its word, you know, three or four or five hours later, he wakes up in heaven, and he's been in heaven at the Club Med of Club Meds for the last 2,000 years, okay? I mean, that's if you believe the Bible's record. Now, some of us, maybe, or some people who think that heaven is a reward for how you live your life on earth would have a very hard time with that story, right? I don't, maybe that's why they're not in church today. Or maybe that's what you believe, uh, even though you are in church today, and you have a problem with that. Well, if you have a problem with that kind of understanding, or that kind of, if that contrast strikes you the wrong way, maybe this parable 
will be of some help. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, follow along as I read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received the denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, kind of skips the intervening ones, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the, to the one who was hired the last, it's the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now this is, as we've said over these weeks, we've been listening a parable is a crafted story, right? And if I'm crafting a story, I don't, I, I'm not telling a historical story. I'm crafting a story to teach my kid a lesson, to teach my neighbor a lesson. To, well, if I can craft the story, I can make the details whatever I want. And I'm going to make the details because it's a crafted story to serve my purposes, right? Well, Jesus does that, and I would suggest to you, and you might say this to yourself, the, the, the verse that ought to jump out of you, the one that sort of doesn't make sense, that gets your attention, is verse 8, where Jesus reverses the order of these series of laborers, there are five groups, 6, 9, 12, 3, and 5, where he reverses the order and says, when it comes to pay time, you know, let's, let's blow the whistle, it's time to get your pay. Well, typically, the first would be first, right? Not the last. You'd start with the guys and ladies who've been there since 6 in the morning, you pay them, and the people have only worked an hour, well, they're last. That would make sense. But see, Jesus is trying to teach us something. And that's really the heart of this message as the last couple verses, you know, seem to say to us in this passage, right? When these guys are grumbling and he says to them, listen, hey, what gives? I paid you what I said I was going to pay you. Don't I have a right to do with I, what I want with my own money, right? Are you envious just because I am generous? This is where the lesson is taught. And he wants to, the reason these guys are paid and these ladies are paid in reversed order is he wants to stress the dashed expectations of the people who were upset in this passage. And there's where you and I need to pay attention. Listen, remember, they all agreed happily for the dollar a day kind of thing, for the denarius, where they agreed about it. They're only resentful and they only grumble 
when they realize that other people who didn't work as long as they did, who've not been in the game as long as they have been in, got the same pay. First point, we don't get what we deserve, okay? We don't get what we... Now, even me saying those words um, ought to hit you the wrong way because we're all living in the real world. And I would agree with you if what you're saying in your heart is, Rob, that's a really nice saying, but it does not represent the reality of the world. I would agree with you 100%. That's why I'm taking a moment to talk about it. it the way of the world that we live in you do get what you deserve. You're in the school that you're in because you worked hard to deserve it. You're in the job that you have or you got the promotion versus somebody else because you worked hard for it, you deserve it. Listen, you might be married to the man or the woman you are versus someone else because you deserve it in a manner of speaking. It's the way the world that we live in and I get that. That might even be true in the church. You get what you deserve. You're taught that from very young in this world. Uh, and it's not a secret, it's part of the academy, it's part of the way we raise our children, on and on and on, I get it. But let me tell you something, God's economy, which is the point of the kingdom of God, listen carefully, because that's why you're here, you're a churchgoer, you're here because you're trying to learn better what it means to walk with God. God's economy works in a completely different way, okay? It's not a little bit like the world or a little bit different. It works in a completely different way. Remember, Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. We said this. I established this five weeks ago. What are the parables? The parables are not mass communication. They're not ABC, NBC, Fox, and whatever. They're a private conversation with the insiders called the disciples of Jesus. And he wants to talk to them. He says, the secrets of the kingdom are for you. They're not for others. I want to teach you what it means to walk with God, which is different than the ways of the world. We've established that. Now, this parable, I would suggest to you, is really an answer to the question that the disciples raised. Chapter 19, verse 27. It's right before these verses. We didn't read it. We don't have time. But Jesus has this long conversation with a rich man. And then he's talking about uh, follow, what does it mean to follow him. And then Peter asks a question on behalf of the disciples of which this parable is a response. Peter answered him because Jesus had just said to the rich man, listen, sell everything you got and follow me. And Peter and the disciples say, well, gee, we've, we've kind of in a manner of speaking already done that. We let our nets go. We let our fishing go. We left our father. Zebedee left his father. We, they're saying, we've already, what Jesus just told this rich man, we've done it. So Peter asked this question. We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Right? In other words, what do we get for this great sacrifice that we have made? And what this parable, I think, is saying is, Jesus is answering this question. You see, the disciples said, listen, we're the 6 a.m. crowd, okay? Some were hired at 6, some at 9, some at noon, some at 3, some at 5. And when he gets to the end in the comparison in this, in this parable, he doesn't even mention the, the people in the middle. He says, the people who were hired at 6 a.m. are watching the people hired at 5 a.m. or the 11th hour, if you have an older translation. And they're upset. They grumble. They were quite happy when this started, but now they're upset. Well, see, the apostles are the 6 a.m. crowd. 
And I would say this, this whole parable in some ways is a, is a strike against the danger of an entitlement mentality. A danger of thinking that anything that you have, that you've earned it, that you deserve it. And I would say this, to those of you who have grown up in a second generation household, to those of you, the longer you've been a Christian in this room, the more dangerous this attitude will be for you to watch out for. Because you might never say it out loud. You might would never dream of saying this, but you walk around with this, I deserve it, I always get passed over. Why, I can't believe that this guy or that girl's gotten something that I didn't get. How dare they get ahead of me in line in the kingdom of God, okay? If it's true for Peter and James and John, I think it's true for you and for me. The truth is, God's grace, really what this parable's about, right? You want to know what it's about? Don't I have a right to do what I want with my money? Are you envious because I'm, wait for it, generous? Everyone in this parable gets what they get because of God's generosity, not because of their merits, right? God's grace is always um, not only amazing, God's grace, I would suggest to you, is always unfair, Okay? God's grace is unfair. No one is entitled to God's love. No one is entitled to God's forgiveness. It's all done out of generosity. And spiritual pride, for lack of a better term, is a killer to God's continued work in your life and in my life and to the joy that is supposed to be at the center of the Christian life. Listen, if I got what I deserved... Rob Catalani, if I got what I deserved in a manner of speaking, I'd still be standing on the corner, right? In my corner to this parable without hope in my life. And if you're honest, so would you, okay? We don't get what we deserve. One commentator said this, very interesting. Comparison, which is what these, which, which made happy people unhappy, Right? The 6 a.m. crowd was very happy until others got things that they thought they should have got. Comparison provokes us, think about your own life, to overestimate what we need and underestimate what we already have. Right? Is that you? I was real happy until, you know, she got, he got. Comparison provokes us to overestimate what we need and underestimate what we already have, what's already right in front of us, what's in our hand, okay? We don't get what we deserve. Second point, I think Jesus is saying, we are all 11th hour workers, right? That's the, if you have a different version than the NIV, he says, you know, he hires him at six, at nine, at noon, at three, and then at the 11th hour, Right? He says, go out and get some more people. All right. Every, let me tell you something about this account. Remember, it's a parable. Every single person in this account, if I was a movie uh, a producer, there's only two people I'd have to write scripts for here. I mean, I mean profiles. One is a, a rich landowner, someone who's very rich, and the other one are day laborers. That's it. That's the only people in this story. The only difference between these groups of day laborers, the only difference, if you're paying attention to this parable, is the time that they get into the back of the truck. But other than that, there's no difference. None of the, no one has a college education in this parable. No one has special skills in this parable. The only difference is the time 
that they get into the back of the truck. Laborers in this society. Maybe you know this. It's, it's, it's obvious. But in this society, there's no social welfare. There's no uh, you know, unemployment insurance. There's no unions. They are completely laborers. This is the bottom of the bottom. This isn't a slave. A third of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves, but they had a place to sleep. They lived on the plantation, so to speak, or whatever the case is. They had rights. Day laborers were one, low, uh, one rung below. They had absolutely no safety net. So what, they ate what they could produce, and they got paid per diem. Okay? They were completely at the mercy of someone to hire them, verse 15. Sir, don't I have a right to do what I want with my money in this world? Yes, you do. And you don't have to pay anybody if you don't want to. I, I've gotten to know this um, homeless guy uh, recently, young guy. He's probably 30 years old. Maybe he's in his early 30s, but it's sad when I think about it. You know, most homeless guys aren't that old, young. He's, he's, uh, he has a three-year-old son, and uh, it's got a tough life. And I've just gotten to know him. And, and recently, um, because we're, he was in my car, we were waiting in line for the long Wendy's line. You know, so we had a chance to talk. Just buying him a hamburger. And so I, you know, I kind of got past some of the early stuff. And I said, hey, you know, well, tell me more about your story. And he was honest. You know, not, it was just a, you know, not always the case with homeless people. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're used to telling lies to get by every day. But we, I've known him for a little while in a casual way. And I, I said... Uh, he said, well, I go, how did you end up this way? He said, alcohol. You know, he said, I, 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 I just got out of control, and eventually I, my wife left me, and, uh, and I lost my apartment. I lost my job. And I said, what kind of job did you have? He said, I'm an electrician. I said, oh. Now, I, you never know if I'm telling the truth, but I, I, know, I know enough just to be dangerous. You know, I mean, I don't know anything about an electrician, but I, I know the right questions to ask. And as he was telling me a story, I did this, I did that, I said, I think this guy actually is an electrician. I said to him, I said, listen, Steve, let me ask you, tell, ask you something. I know promises, but I said, I know a couple electricians. And maybe, one of them's in this room right now, right? Maybe, we haven't talked, but anyway, I said, maybe, uh, uh, I, they might give you a shot. But I said, for them to do that, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need to be able to take a shower. And he goes, I can do it at such and such a place. And I said, you're going to need to make sure that you're on time. But if you think you can do those two things, I'd be willing to call these two friends and just see. And he, we both agreed after the conversation that he would need a telephone. And, you know, and I said, I think that would be a good thing. How can we? And he goes, I can get, he was real excited. He goes, I can get an Obama phone. That's what he told me. I go, okay. I didn't know what that was. I go, all right, what, what's it going to take? And he said, and he didn't even need any money. He goes, I can get one. I've had one before. It's like, it's, you know, it's a phone that you can get. It's probably a prepaid thing. So he, I go, okay, great. I said, I'm not going to ask my friends until you get it. But go, go get it. And I said, I'll meet you here, you know, in such and such a day a couple days later. So I come back and I see him. I said, hey, did you get it? And he goes, I tried. I did. They wouldn't give it to me. And I said, why not? And he said, because I didn't have identification. I said, what did, how did, you don't have any identification? He goes, well, I just had my um, food stamps card. It has my name on it, but they said that wasn't good enough. And I said, Steve, you don't have any kind of identification of a driver's license? No, you don't have this, you don't have that. I said, how about a birth certificate? He goes, you know, I lost it in the fire kind of a thing, you know. 
But I thought to myself as I read this parable, right? No one in this room lives that way, I don't think, okay? But I want you to think for a moment what it would feel like, just for a moment, to be somebody that desperate, right? Who's so desperate that, that you cannot even get an Obama phone and nobody's willing to give you... That's why people live on the street. Things have gotten that desperate. And in a manner of speaking, spiritually speaking, what this parable says is that's every single one of us in this room. Absolutely desperate and completely at the mercy of others. Very unlikely, okay, in this parable... This landowner didn't need these other workers, did he? Did he need to go back every three hours and hire people? The fact that he paid such ex, you know, extravagant sums for someone who worked an hour tells you that he didn't need them. He was acting compassionately to alleviate the hardship of the unemployed. Verse Psalm 145, verse 9. Listen carefully. The Lord is good to some. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. We are all 11th hour workers. I don't care if you went to... RCS and Cedarville and, you know, uh, wherever, you know, uh, you had parents and, and grandparents. It's wonderful. I'm thrilled. I wasn't. I'm a, you know, I'm at best a three o'clocker, you know. I mean, uh, uh, that's not my story. But if you think for a minute that you deserved what you have, wake up, snap out of it. You have nothing that you have not been given. Friend, are you envious because God is generous? Everything you have is because of the grace of God. Finally, we are called, this is the message to the disciples, but it's you and me, to imitate God's generosity, not resent it, right? That's what he's saying to Peter and to James and to John and to Gary and to Ryan and to Rob, and to George, and everyone else in this room. We're called to imitate God's generosity, not resent it. I have to say to you, uh, I'm going to get myself in a little trouble now. Um, I, I am, I've just recently got on to the, uh, uh, the, caught up with the Kanye West uh, conversion story, okay? Some of you are, are more uh, in tune than I am. But let me, let me tell you what I've learned over the last week or two. Kanye West, you all know who Kanye West is? We all awake in this room? Okay. Right. Who is, I don't know him very well, but, you know, it's like saying, do you know who, uh, you know, Tom Brady is or something, okay? I mean, Kanye West is one of the most successful musicians, uh, perhaps the most successful when it comes to record sales and Grammy wins, and um, he's huge in our culture. He's also a very controversial figure, uh, and we won't go into all that. Some of you know that as well. But in January of this year, I've read all this now. I'm caught up a little bit. His wife said publicly he had a born-again experience. And since January of 2019, apparently, he, he's rich, he's wealthy, he's well-to-do, 
and 80 of his best friends who are gospel singers fly around in a jet and every single Sunday in, in since January, they're somewhere on this you know, Sunday soul, that's Oprah, right? <laughs> Sunday service uh, experience, they're sharing the gospel music somewhere in this country since January. And there's only been one exception to that, which was Friday they had a service on a Friday the 27th of September because on Friday the 27th of September, he was announcing, so he had a special service that day somewhere, um, his new album that just came out in the last 20 days called, ready for it? Jesus is King. <laughs> That's the name of his album. Well, uh, I'll tell you, when I first heard it, I have to admit to you, I was skeptical. I've been a Christian for 35 years and seen people come and go. But as I read about it and as I watched some of it, I realized this. The main reason I had, th there was nothing beyond my own judgment, okay? I'm a, my own judgment, my own skepticism to doubt the antithesis, uh, antithesis, the authenticity, authenticity of his um, testimony. Well, just last week, okay, four or five days ago, James Corden, you all know James Corden, okay, the uh, late night uh, guy, you know, the music and cars guy, if you don't know. If you, James Corden got a, a ride, not in his car, but on his airplane. Um, and asked him the question that I think most people would want to ask him, which is, do I know this is, how do I know this is for real? Watch this brief uh, video. saying he's having. I don't believe if I look at the last two, three, four, five years of his life, I don't believe that this can be as uh, night and day as it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's that, you, what... that you would be one day living your life in one way and now saying everything is for this. I'm not sure I believe it. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you wake up, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? Yeah. Would you agree that, that those are two different states? People who don't believe are walking dead. They are asleep. And this is the awakening.
You know, I, I had a, a lot of people, um, again, I'm new to this story, and uh, posted it on my uh, uh, Facebook account for feedback. And, you know, many people, so funny, most, almost the majority of them, of course, you know, it's not like I, everyone in the world's my friend, but they're like, you know, I, I, we ought to give this guy a, I, you know, second chance, I believe it. And, you know, we, we uh, except one person said, I'm willing to believe that he, he you know, God has forgiven him and he's going to be in heaven, but he's got to apologize to Taylor Swift. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway. You know, this, this, this parable ends, um, or I should say it begins and ends very quickly, very, very important, with a proverb. This is the whole point of this story, okay? The proverb, it's, we read it in verse 16, but it's actually at the end of the little story Jesus told Peter in response to his question about what gives, what's in it for us. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 30, and chapter 20, verse 16 is the same thing. The first will be last and the last will be first. Well, what does that mean? One writer said this. What is Jesus meaning here? In a foot race, the only way for the last to be first and the first to be last is for everyone to finish simultaneously. If everyone crosses the finish line at exactly the same instant, the first are last and the last are first. This is precisely the point Jesus is making in this parable. Those hired first and those hired last all got exactly the same pay. All of them got the full benefit of the landowner's generosity and mercy in equal shares. Okay? Whether your name is Kanye West or Rob Catalani or your, fa your unfavorite friend, all got full benefit of the landowner's mercy and equal shares. One last verse. Listen carefully. You want to know something about who the landowner is, the God that you claim to serve. Moses was in a tight spot, if you know the story of Moses. He was at the end of his line. He said, I'm tired. Moses was kind of a 6 a.m. or two. I'm done. I've been working my tail off. And if you don't tell me who you are, God, tell me more about who is the God that I'm following. I'm done. And God says, okay, I'm going to do it. Verse 33, or I mean chapter 33, verse 19. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and will proclaim my name, which in this context means character. The Lord in your presence. Here we go. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What Jesus is restating in this parable is the same thing. Listen, I'll forgive whoever the heck I want to forgive. And whether or not you like it or whether or not you think they deserve it, you need to get over it. Because you're that lonely man or woman standing there on the corner and you have what you have for one reason only. Are you envious because I'm generous? You have what you have by the grace of Almighty God. And your life is a privilege. My life is a privilege. And we're called to imitate God's generosity, not to resent it. We are all equally unworthy 
and God's grace is inexhaustible. And all who believe receive an infinite share of his mercy, though not one of us deserves it. Here's my last line. Grace is unfair, but it is not unjust. Why is grace not unjust? Because Jesus Christ paid the full atonement for your sin when he died on a cross. God made him to be sin judged for you, to be sin for you so that you and I and Kanye West and everybody else who's open to it might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Okay, now...